Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Awesome. Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Certainly glad to see you here today. I I want to spend some time today. In fact, if you're taking notes, I'll go ahead and just say this. Today we're going to talk about revealing the orphan heart. It'll be part two. So if you were here last week, sorry that we don't, basically had some uh, technical issues and we don't have part one. We apologize for that. But today is part two and I'll do my best to kind of catch everybody up. So we're all running in the same direction. But let me maybe say this before we dive in. You know, obviously, when you look at the Bible, there is, uh, you know, there's so many themes, so many uh, revelations, so many teachings. But, but I'd have to say outside the gospel of just a salvation message, what I'm preaching to you today has probably changed my life more than anything. And not only uh, has changed my life, but continues to change my life. Because, you know, if I'm being honest with you today, anytime, you know, I feel like the Lord wants me to share on something, it's almost like there, there's something he wants to do in that with me as well. And so I've been kind of, in a good way, been kind of gutted this week. So it's good. So today, I maybe say this, it, the same thing might happen to you. It's more than likely it's going to be kind of heavy and kind of weighty, and that's not to uh, kind of burden anybody down, but there, there's this simple thought. In fact, I had a friend say this the other day. I heard him say it. He said, basically, when God reveals something, or he said this, he only reveals what he wants to heal. And so today, the Lord may reveal some things to you. In fact, I hope he does, uh, so he can bring healing to you. Amen? Amen. So let's pray real quick one more time, and uh, we'll dive into this. So, Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just your heart that loves us so much. Thank you for your goodness. And even as we sang earlier, God, your faithfulness in our lives. And Lord, we just pray today that that very faithfulness of just who you are, God, as a loving dad, as an awesome God, that you would come and just touch your people's hearts today, touch my heart today. Father, thank you, God, for coming and revealing by your spirit what only you can reveal. And thank you for for not just uh, revealing it, but also healing it. And so, Lord, today, we just choose just in our own moment, in our own spot in this room, Uh, God, just to open up our hearts wide to you today. And Lord, we just believe that you're speaking to us uh, personally today. And thank you for just just life change. Thank you for uh, allowing us to step into just a greater measure of who you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you've been here, you know that over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how even though that around this room, we all have a you know a variety of church backgrounds, a variety of church experiences, but in spite of all of that, uh, God has still called us to, to live or to walk in unity. And uh, we said that basically a few weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, that there's three areas that we believe that kind of would help uh, unlock or foster just this unity in our church, the anchor. And the first one was simply this, is that we would pursue his presence. Today was a great great example of that. There's just something about when you begin to pursue him and uh, basically that you experience him. And when you experience him, because he is love, you experience love. And what's so neat, what happens when, when we begin to worship in this unified effort and the love of God comes, and it's really hard to be mad at the person next to you, even if you got in a fight with them on the way to church. 
talking about your spouse. So anyways, but, but there's just something about uh, when, when God's love comes and gets on his people. And even in the middle of all of that, there begins to be a transfer of what we would call unity in our hearts because heaven operates in an atmosphere of unity. And so when heaven comes, that unity gets in our heart. It, it takes root in our hearts. The second thing that happens is uh, when that love comes, obviously it creates a genuine love and affection in us. But, but I just want to say to this, and this is really where we're sitting today, is that uh, as that progresses and as that grows stronger in our hearts, what happens is that it begins to create a culture of family in us. And the neat part about when a culture of family begins to happen in our hearts is we begin to value relationships and we value family more than what we uh, value being right. Right. And so what happens is, is when you value the person uh, more than more than some doctrinal truth, even then what happens is, is the third thing is you begin to actually have honest and open and hard conversations. And the truth is, is that's where the Lord wants us to get, because that's where we begin to help each other out of a culture of honor. We begin to really grow in our faith. Amen. So last week we said this, and we were going to go back around the block. We were going to go to number two on that list. And uh, specifically, we were going to talk about basically the kingdom family, the creating a culture of family. And, and you know, I, was, I said this last week, but I'll say it again. Th- this subject, as we begin to unpack it, there's no way to unpack it in one or two or three weeks. And so we're going to sit on this for a minute, and we're going to let God kind of, uh, you know, almost like an onion, peel it off in layers. And, uh, you know, I'll say, say this maybe. You know, before before we moved here, I knew that this was something that God wanted me to share. And and even though over the last three years, there's been like little drops of it, little moments, maybe even messages that kind of went along with it. But but I never felt really released to go all into this and until now. So I think God wants to do something really cool. And uh, so let's just open up our hearts and, and get in agreement with him. Amen. All right, so once again, we kind of said this last week, but anytime you begin to talk about kingdom family, there's a few foundational, a few core truths that you got to grab a hold of or core thoughts. And it's simply this, and you guys know most of this stuff, but first and foremost, that our God is a perfect and loving father. If, if there's anything that says something opposite of that, it's a lie from the enemy. Amen. The second part, when we talk about the Trinity, obviously the Trinity, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit, they operate and they live and they function not only a perfect unity and perfect love, but they also operate as a perfect family. And it was out of that pattern of family, guess what? God created you and I. We are the extended family of heaven, if you will. But we all know that as you continue to read the Bible, you see it in Genesis 3, that here's Adam and Eve, they sinned. In other words, they broke up the family, if you will. And we know that basically when that happens, guess what? We were separated from God. But then the next thing, once again, this is all just gospel, okay? That what happened was the father sent his son Jesus, and basically because it took a son to reveal the father, so the son came to make a way for you and I to become children of God. And what's so awesome is, is when we got born again, or when we got adopted, or when we were redeemed, we were not redeemed as slaves. We were redeemed as sons and daughters. Amen. And then the next thing is this, is that simply because we're sons and daughters, we have a seat at the table. Amen. We're we're not, you know, we're not the one that's, uh, you you know, whatever. It's not our job to come and serve and serve the King and serve the father and go clean up and clean do this. No, no, we have a, we have a firm seat at the table, right? And so here's the thing. So the point is, is that we belong in his family. And we got to understand that, that we belong, that we belong, that we belong in his family. Now, there's many scriptures that, that back this up. And I only want to share one with you today. We shared several last week. But this is 2 Corinthians 6.18. It says, and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Can't get much clearer than that, can you? 
pretty, pretty straightforward. So here's where things kind of get sideways with this subject, though, is that even though uh, you and I can go down that list, and I'm saying this from experience, we can go down that list and we, that we just went down, basically what's the basic gospel, yep, that list, and, and we can say from an uh, you know, intellectual point of view, man, we get it. But how many of us, if we're honest, you know, we sit back and we say, man, you know what, I, I, uh, I'm not sure if I necessarily believe all of that in my heart. And I think that there's a lot of Christians today, and I lived like this for many years, and I think there's certain parts of me that still live like this, unfortunately. It's what we're working through. But, but I think a lot of us, we know we're born again. We know that we love God. We're doing our best to love God. We go to church every week. Man, we, we give and we tithe and we uh, study our Bibles. And guess what? We, we serve people and we do all the right Christian stuff. But yet deep down inside, we still struggle with, you know, are we, are we really secure? Are we really unconditionally loved? Are we really accepted as God's son? and daughters. Am I making sense to anybody today? And, and so the, the reason that there's that internal struggle in so many of us, and, and if people say a lot of times that they don't, uh, you, you know, it's, it's, they, may, they may not think they do, but the truth is, and you'll see later, their behavior really reveals it, that they struggle with this area. And the reason is, is because all of us were born with an orphan heart. Uh, we know that Adam and Eve were the only people that were ever born with what we would call sonship. Uh, but when they fell in the garden, they exchanged sonship for an orphan heart. And now that every person is born after them, not only we're born into sin, but we're also born with an orphan heart. Now, as we said last week, this is, is that even though we're all born with an orphan heart, how deep that orphan heart or that orphan thinking or that orphan behavior uh, took root in our hearts was really determined in many ways by how we were raised. Listen, it's true that our relationship with our parents, and, and, and you gotta understand, not just, I want you to see mom and I want you to see dad, but how we were raised, either good or bad, it had a significant influence in who we are today. And, and the only thing I can say is this is, you know, I've been, I've been a Christian now for, I didn't grow up in the church, not even close to it. And uh, I've been a Christian now for, I guess, 20 years. And, and, I, and I would say that I have seen uh, over the years, it doesn't matter. I almost see in every conversation I have, I see what we're talking about today. I'll just leave it at that. It's that powerful and it's that true. So let's maybe pick up on this. This morning, I, I really want to take a detailed look at at the role of our parents. I know we talked about this some last week, but this is just another layer of the onion. But, but I, want, I want to look at the role our parents played in our lives. And I believe as we do this, it'll be much easier for us to see why we view ourselves, why we view our families, why we view uh, the people around us, and even, you know, maybe most importantly, why we view God the way we do. And if I can maybe even say it this way, when we talk about this, you'll begin to see why you even have the internal interaction with yourself the way you do. You'll be able to see why you, you know, why you interact with your, with your spouse, with your kids, with your extended family the way you do, the people that surround you, if it's in this church or if it's at work the way you do. And most importantly, once again, you'll see why you interact with God the way you do based off of this teaching. So let me start here today. And everybody, you know, you get this, but, but there's no such thing as, you know, it's important as we understand this, there's no such thing as a perfect dad or a perfect mom. If, you, if you've ever been a parent, you know that's true. And, and the reason is, is that we all understand that well-meaning parents cannot prevent every hurtful situation and they can't meet every single need that a kid might have. That's humanly impossible, right? 
But, but every child-parent relationship over time is defined by a rhythm or by a pattern. And uh, this is created by how well the parents fulfilled their responsibilities to their children. Does that make sense? So, so it's simply this, that once again, as you grow up, there's a rhythm and a pattern in how your interaction is with your, with your parents or is with your kids. And, and that thing basically determines you know, how well a person really understood their responsibility. And, and I'll maybe say this, that some of our parents, if are true, understood their responsibility as parents better than others, right? I mean, literally go all the, go all the way around the room. In fact, I, I, after last week, you, you know, uh, talking to people after service, I met people that were way over here and people that were way over here. I had, I had breakfast the other morning with a guy, and he said, man, thank you for sharing everything that you shared. That was so good. And I couldn't help but to sit back and just... Uh, be so thankful for how awesome my dad was. Pretty cool. But we also met people on the other end of the the, uh, spectrum as well last week. So anyway, so let me maybe give you this. Uh, This is really simple. If you're a parent here, you can learn from a lot of what we're saying today so you don't repeat what happened with you. Uh, Or maybe that was good. Let me not assume that was bad. But here's the responsibilities that parents have with kids. These are just a few of the basic needs, okay? And uh, this is what every one of us should have got from our parents. The first one is this, is that we need to basically to be loved, that we needed to be loved through physical touch. And obviously that is uh, hugs, kisses, cuddling, however you want to word it. The next thing is this, is, is that every kid needs to feel physically and emotionally safe. Next is that every kid needs to be able to trust their parents with their hearts. In other words, the vulnerable spots. Next thing is this, that every kid needs to know that they are unconditionally accepted and loved no matter what. In other words, we all needed to know we belonged. Next thing is this, that we needed uh, to know that we were enjoyed and cherished. In other words, as kids, did we ever sit back and know that we were a, a source of joy or were we a source of irritation to our parents? You know, next thing is every kid, basic need, they need to be praised and affirmed. And, and even in this sense, let me kind of add this thought. Dr. James Dobson said that basically that it takes at least 40 words of praise to counteract just one word of criticism in a child's heart. That's significant. 40 words of praise to counteract one word of criticism. The next thing is this, is that uh, basically we all have from our parents was we need to be prepared for life. In other words, by our parents recognizing and encouraging our self-esteem and value. The next thing, we need to be reassured that we were special and had something unique to offer to the world. That's what brought purpose in our life. Next is this, to be confident in the fact that we were a gift from God to our family and believe it or not, even to the world. In other words, those are, uh, those are simple basic needs that every kid needs from their parents. You needed that, I needed that, and our children need that. Are you awake today? So, you know, once again, when you go down all that, I just simply want to make this little thought here. That, that it's not enough for a parent to have loving feelings toward their, uh, towards their child, okay? In other words, it's just not enough to feel it inside. Those feelings must be communicated and they must be expressed in a way that is meaningful and easily comprehended to the child. So once again, I, you know, if I could just kind of add this thought, to the degree that those essential or basic needs were met, in our, uh, met by our parents, Obviously, that varies from one person to the next in the room. Just as I said earlier, some of you guys may, you know, we went down that list real quick and you might have went, man, my parents did an awesome job. And some of you other guys in this room were at the total other end of the, uh, you know, the spectrum and, and you're heartbroken by it. And uh, or you maybe you landed somewhere in the middle. OK, but but wherever it's at, man, I, I just want to know that want you to know this. It affected you. OK. So 
As we take a, a detailed look in this, I want to start here today. Uh, I want to start with the dads. I want to start with the role of a father. I've kind of mentioned it, you know, kind of throwing it out there in little snippets, you know, over the past, I don't know how, much, how many ever weeks, but let's kind of take a deeper look into this. And I want to say this, that, that every one of us in this room grew up with basically one of these eight dads. And I know I'm giving you a lot today. It's intentional, and I know we just got a lot of ground to cover, okay? So grab what you can. We either basically grew up with this. Number one, we had the opportunity to grow up with a stable and loving father. Stable and loving father. This guy, man, he, he's the kind of guy that did a great job at spending time with us and making us feel loved. He made us feel secure and he made us feel affirmed. Or maybe we grew up with a father that was performance-oriented. And what I mean by that is this guy has, you know, extremely high standards and we were only rewarded with their affection when we were successful, uh, successful at jumping through his hoops or, uh, you know, once again, or maybe when we athletically, academically going down the list, outperformed the other kids in our age group, right? In other words, he sat back and he watched his kid. If his kid didn't meet the standard with the other kids in the room, he got on them. But if they, if he, if he reached the standard, then he got an attaboy, Right. And so part of this thing is this, is that when, when we grow up with a performance-oriented dad, guess what? We, we, could, we basically feel like we can't meet his spoken or unspoken uh, standards. And when we can't meet those things, we left, what, feeling like we couldn't do anything right, and we live out our childhood basically under the shadow of criticism. The third thing is this, is maybe we grew up with a father that was passive, and uh, th- these are, are, are very prevalent, but, but basically this, that this is the kind of father that he didn't put any unrealistic demands on us, and he didn't clearly reject us, okay? But what he did do is he failed to be actively present in our lives, that he might have been there physically, but, you know, definitely failed at actively being present. So he was emotionally numb and basically this, because we didn't, we didn't know dad's joys. We didn't know his hopes. We didn't know his disappointments. We didn't know his dreams. Guess what? We really didn't know dad. We just did what? We just lived under the same roof. The next kind of dad is this, is he's kind of workaholic. And this is the kind of dad that, man, he came home, you know, at the end of the day, man, he's, he's busted his butt all day and he's absolutely exhausted. And, uh, you know, but he's so exhausted, he can't give us the emotional energy or attention that we need. And, and once again, this guy is the kind of dad that does a great job at meeting our physical needs, but he fails miserably at meeting the emotional needs. The next father is the kind of father that's absent. And this is really simple. He's absent simply due to death. Maybe it is because of divorce, or maybe he just flat out abandoned you. And, uh, you know, I've seen kids that even, even, with, even when their father got killed, it's amazing that how many of those kids are so angry at their dad because they left him. And they had no control over it. And if, you know, I'll say this, kind of throw the story in here. I remember sitting at an altar at a youth camp with a young man, and his mom died maybe... I don't know, maybe three, four months before that with cancer. It was one of my best friend's wives. And she was, I think, 37 or 38 years old. And I remember sitting at the altar with this young man who was about 16 years old at the time. And, and God was just downloading, speaking to me. And, and, I, and I knew that, that I had to basically lead this kid in a prayer of forgiving his mom for leaving him. And you know, that's pretty risky business. Because, you know, this, knowing this kid, I didn't know how he was going to respond. And what was so crazy, as soon as I went there, all he, he just clapped in my arms just weeping. Just crying and crying and crying. And it, because the reason, because God was talking. 
God was speaking in that night. Guess what? God did it. But here's, here's a kid that was so upset with his mom, so angry, and, and, and that wasn't in his mom's heart at all. Obviously, she loved him, right? Fantastic mom. Anyways, you guys get the point. The next thing is this, or maybe it was a, an authoritative, authoritative kind of dad. And this kind of dad, he, he's more concerned with you walking the line that he sets uh, more than he is of just showing you love. And uh, this kind of dad man is usually stern, harsh, demanding, and expecting us to immediately and without question obey his commands. And uh, basically what happens is when you got a dad that's authoritative like that is you view him through the lens more of fear than you do of love. In other words, when dad walks through the door, everybody tightens up, right? The next thing is this, is maybe you had a dad that was selfish. This kind of dad that kind of acts like, man, he's the center of the universe, that everything evolves around him. And, and, and what happens is, is when you got a dad that's selfish, th- this kind of dad doesn't have a clue how to speak life into you, to encourage you, to develop your strengths, to develop your, your, your talents, your abilities. The only thing he can think of is how you can meet his needs, and so what happens is, is guess what, is you end up just being another cog in the wheel, just like his spouse, just like his other kids, just like anybody else in his life, of how are you going to meet his needs. And the last one is this, it's probably the worst kind of dad, it's an abusive kind of father. And, you know, this is either this, either the, he abused you verbally, emotionally, physically, or even sexually. And, and if I can maybe add this, because it's just as bad, or maybe he gave you permission and didn't stand up for you or turned a blind eye with someone else who were doing those things to you, just as bad. And so what happens is when you got a dad like that, it, it begins to create feelings of guilt, profound sense of shame and unworthiness, along with all the feelings of, man, I'm defenseless because I'm a kid, I'm powerless, I'm weak, and I'm undervalued. Am I making sense? So there's eight potential dads, or you could have a combination of those, right? So can I maybe add something that that's maybe a little, maybe seems a little off-centered here? Obviously, all of those have um, lasting effects, even the first one. And, and you're thinking, man, how can a good and stable father have a lasting effect? If that father doesn't teach his kid how to move from depending all on them to depending on God, then there's a problem. If, it's, if you were a girl and, and you had such a great relationship with dad, then guess what happens when your husband comes along and you don't know how to disconnect from dad, then that, father, that husband gets all kinds of unrealistic um, you know, expectations put on him that he'll never meet because he's not your dad. Am I making sense? So, so, so even in the fact if we're good, stable, loving parents, or we had a good, stable, loving dad or mom, guess what happens is, is, is there still needs to be that transfer when they grow up and they mature where they depend on him. I've seen a lot of good Christian families that their kids are 30 years old and, they, and, and dad's still got to hear God for them. There's a problem with that. Yes? It doesn't mean you can't get wisdom from dad, but dad still shouldn't be making all the decisions. And also, let me give you another thought, because uh, this has to be mentioned. Sometimes even our moms can carry those same characteristics, causing similar damage in our hearts, but it's typically the father that displays those behaviors. So let me kind of give you this. And I know this is more academic kind of light today. Just roll with me, please. But the, the reason this is so important for us to understand is because of this. And I actually want to throw something up. You, yeah. So, so once again, I've been kind of bumping up against this, but we're going to go a little bit more in depth today. Is the role that a father plays in our lives is extremely important. Here's why. Because it is his responsibility to impart our identity. 
It's his responsibility to call out our value and worth. It's his responsibility to speak into our destiny. It's his responsibility to cultivate our talents and abilities. It's his responsibility to lead us into our faith. It's his responsibility to mold and shape our courage for life's challenges. It's his job to be the protector of our innocence and our purity. He's the one that provides us with a sense of belonging, and that sense of belonging produces confidence. And it's his responsibility to affirm us by telling us that we have what it takes that our lives mean something and that we can make a difference and that we can become who God has called us to be. Now, what's so amazing about all this is so many dads, and I tell you what, I can fall to this sometimes, is we want to do that in an aggressive way to get our kids' attention. But the fact is, is the most powerful way of getting that across to our kids is in a very gentle strength, right? And if I can maybe add one thing, if I kind of sum all of that up in one spot, basically a dad's responsibility is to, is to be an inspiration, it's really that simple, to be an inspiration. Let me give you a verse here that I'm totally seeing in a different way because of all of this. But look at Psalms 127, verse 4. So take in, take in consideration everything we just said, that children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. What do I mean? The point is really this, is, is how do we leave his hand? An arrow's no good in the quiver until it's shot. But did we, were we shot out in a healthy way or we shot out in an unhealthy way? And all that was determined by how all that time we spent in his quiver and he was raising us. So if I can maybe give you this, it's, it's really saying this. To the degree or level of success or failure that our fathers had in these areas uh, in our lives will determine the degree or level of the battle we will face in our lives. Do you get that? I'll say it again. To the degree or level of success or failure our fathers had in these areas in our lives will determine the degree or level of the battle we will face. In other words, it's this, that we realize that our battle is not against external factors, but our battle is against an orphan heart and orphan thinking. And so if our dad did a really poor job while we were in the quiver, when we get shot out in this battle called life, guess what? How we interact with this world, basically in a healthy way or unhealthy way, is determined by how well he did his responsibility. Am I making sense to you guys today? So let's transition to mom. I have to be honest with you here, and, and maybe I will, I'll figure out if we're going to put it in here somewhere, but, but I, think, I think for all these years, I have put so much attention on what my dad and stepdad did and didn't do, and how that's affected me as a 40-year-old man, to, I, th- I think I gave my mom a pass. And the truth is, is while I'm reading this, I love my mom, and I've forgiven my mom, and I, and I do my best to have a relationship with my mom, um, you know, I, I talk to my mom almost every day, maybe not every day, about four times a week. But, but I realized reading this, in fact, I'll just kind of give you the picture. The other night, Thanksgiving, we're watching football because that's what you do, right? And, and you eat a little bit of turkey leg. And so I, I'm sitting there and, and I am, uh, you know, we've, we've been eating, but I'm reading and I'm studying uh, because I know I got to be ready for this morning. And I'm reading all this stuff about mom and man, I felt the weight just like, oh my gosh. And what was so amazing is, is that it was an eye opener, but it was also a healing moment. And, uh, and so part of this is, 
Healing comes by, it just comes to light for us, okay? And so what I'm saying is, I'm maybe saying it in a better way. I'm seeing today that all these years I said, here's my struggles, that's dad's fault. But I am seeing more so, like more so, oh my God, that was mom's fault. Because mom didn't do what she was supposed to do. So let me show you uh, the, basically the role of a mom. And basically uh, it's scientifically proven that mother's loves, mother, a mother's love is demonstrated in three ways. Number one is this, affectionate touch. Basically, doctors have discovered that without the touch, a child's body and emotions will become unhealthy. In other words, when a mom uh, lovingly touches and expresses, uh, how, basically expresses her love to a child, the child interprets that as, man, I am valued and mom loves me, right? And, and so, so it puts, again, once again, the importance of the kid. The second way a mom uh, basically prove her, proves her love is through this, is through eye contact. And this is important. When a child doesn't see understanding and acceptance in the eyes of their mother. Get that, when they don't see eyes of understanding, acceptance in the eyes of their mother, or looks of love and affection, it can cause them to feel awkward, insecure, separate, and out of place in their relationship with others when they grow up. Very interesting, huh? Thirdly is this, is, and, and we all get this, but it's the tone of voice. It's the tone of voice. Obviously, mom expressed her love by the tone of voice. In other words, the child learns to bond and trust when their mother looks them in the eye and speaks to them with loving words uh, that are encouraging, gentle, tender, and empathizing. In other words, when she does that with a tender voice. Am I making sense? So three things, affectionate touch, eye contact, tone of voice. And if I can add something to that last one, just kind of drive the point home there. Um, I might have told you this before, but, but I read a... I read a uh, account basically about a king. This was years and years and years ago. A king who uh, basically decided that he wanted to learn what was the original language of man. I don't know if you remember me telling you this. But, but, it, but so what he did was is he got uh, basically a group of newborn children and he put them all in a room. They were all in their bassinets and they all had a nurse that was assigned to each one of them. Uh, but there was one rule. Basically, you can touch them and you can feed them and you can do all that, but you cannot speak to them. And the reason is because he thought that, you know, if, we, if, they, if this child hears a voice, then automatically they're going to take that and that's going to become their language. And the goal was to figure out what was the original language. So he was thinking as the kids grew up, then the way they would communicate with each other, it would be the original language. Makes sense? But here was the only problem with that is a, a few months into this experiment, experiment, every kid died. And the reason is, is because we're all wired by God to need the tone of what we need a mom and we need a dad's voice. We need that interaction with people. I'm making sense to you. Yes, no? All right, so on the same note as this, as before, is that obviously all three of those areas, uh, those play into, you know, a father's relationship with the child as well. But, but once again, it, it's more centered on the mom. And the reason is, is because the moms are the primary caregivers and dispersers of love in our young lives. Get that, the primary caregiver's first of love in our young lives. So uh, maybe if I could do this, if I could, if I had to drill down mom's role in our lives with one word, it would simply be this, nurturer. And, and please don't miss the meaning here because you, you, this is eye-opening, at least to me. Nurture means to call something to come forth. To call something to come forth. Y'all getting that? Tracking, yes? What, watch this. As our moms nurtured us as children, they imparted, or I can say this, that we learned the ability 
to give and receive. And here's what they imparted. Here's what we learned the ability to receive and to give as mom nurtured. Because once again, it brings something forth. Uh, basically, we learned uh, she imparted compassion, tenderness, empathy, affection, comfort, and intimacy. So watch this. Their nurturing taught us how to have faith in others, and it gave us the ability to trust others when they expressed their love towards us. You get that? The ability to trust others when they express their love towards us, that we literally learn how to give and receive love from our moms. Everybody look at me, please. That we learn how to give and receive love from our moms. That literally, that their nurturing drew out, once again, drew out the ability uh, the ability for us to love and for us to nurture others. In other words, in that moment, those bonding moments, there was a transaction happening. And so once again, to the level, to the degree, right, determine that transaction. So get this, our moms taught us how to commune with people, how to connect with others, to bond with them beyond surface level, to show vulnerability, to know and to be known emotionally. They taught us how to trust relationships, even God, when they held us, cuddled us, and cared for us. So the point here is that when we lack these essential pieces in our lives, uh, we can grow up with an inherent fear of relationships and struggles in relationships, struggles create struggles in our relationships uh, that, that require anything beyond surface level. So, uh, yeah. Here's what's neat. And in fact, I'll just throw this kind of out for you kind of so you understand timeline is basically they say that the first two years of a child's life, that's mom's world. From the time of age of three to five, that's dad's world. You know, they say basically a kid's moral compass is set by the time he's five years old. So, so that's your timeline. Basically, mom taught the giving and the receiving of love, compassion, tender hearts, all this in two years, first two years. And, and truth be known, it's, it's actually the nurturing process began at inception, right? It continued through basically the whole time when they were in the womb, uh, then to breastfeeding, and then to early childhood. And at two, at two, there's that transition basically when the kid turns three, and then dad takes over. Am I making sense? So let me give you a verse here to kind of back this up. This is David talking in Psalms 22, 9. It says, yet you brought me out of the womb and you made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. That was that interaction going, that transaction. So here's the thing. If a dad brings inspiration, guess what a mom brings? A mom brings comfort. A mom brings comfort. There's, there's safety in mom's arms. In other words, it, it, when, when, let me say this, when it's not there with mom, what happens is you typically end up with people who don't know how to quieten their souls. They don't know to have, how to have rest in their souls. They don't live in peace, but they live frantic and they live fearful. So once again, going back to the same thing we said about the dad, to the degree... Or level of success and failure our mothers had in nurturing us will determine the degree or level of battle we will face in our lives. Once again, not a battle to external forces, but with orphan hearts and orphan thinking in our lives. So let me kind of add a few things to that and then we'll move on. But, but here's certain aspects of the battle. That, that when, we, when we have not been nurtured in the way God intended for us to be nurtured, in our developmental years, what happens is, is we tend to, everybody get this, please, especially men in this room, get this, that we tend to devalue emotions and intimacy. 
Get that. When mom hasn't made that connection with us, we devalue emotions and intimacy. And what happens is, is because we devalue that, we value uh, logical thinking, analytical, intellectual interaction over tender, affectionate, warm, and heartfelt interaction in our relationships. In other words, we get cold. So let me kind of maybe give you an idea because this is where I think the truth is. Listen, it doesn't mean that we don't have feelings of love locked up inside of us because we do. Listen, if you're in this room and you were born again, the one who is love came to live inside of you. Amen? So, so but here's what happens when you, when you haven't been raised to, to have that interaction and that expression. What happens is, is, is you constantly run into the trouble of expressing your love to people. In other words, when you step out to express your love, it seems reserved. It seems awkward to you. It seems like really weird. And with, when it comes out with a touch of impatience, and insensitivity. It's insensitive. So what happens is, is this leaves us, if, you're, uh, if you're, that's happening in you, uh, when you go to express your love, it leaves you with a feeling that basically, man, I'm so frustrated. This is not working. And the others around us, it leaves them feeling disappointed and rejected. So, so I will say this real quick, and I got to hustle here. Um, I think for me this week is, you know, listen, last week I told you kind of a few things about that my dad and my mom said it, but I, I mean, my dad and my stepdad said, but I think the thing that really got a hold of me this week is, man, is, is uh, and I've told you this before, but, but it all made sense. I, I have lived so many years. Uh, Jen's helped me tremendously with this, and obviously revelation, walking with Jesus, all those things, but, but I have struggled so much in the, in the giving and receiving of love. I have all kinds of things that are there, but it's so hard to go. Here it is, Right? And I begin to realize that, you know, going back to those uh, three basic needs there of, of uh, once again, what was the, the top one? Affectionate touch. Didn't grow up with that at all. Uh, the most closest we came to affectionate touch was with a belt on the end of it. And as far as eye contact, when it said that you need, uh, you know, to see understanding and all that, my mom was angry nonstop, nonstop. And the last one, tone of voice. I remember my stepdad told me one time, he was, he's a veteran the, of the army, and he you know, went to Vietnam and all that. And he told me one time, he said, he said Q, uh, you'll have no trouble in the military. You're used to getting screamed at. <laughs> Literally, that my friends would not come to my house because my mom screamed nonstop. She couldn't even say, hey, uh, dinner's ready without screaming at us. Now, now to kind of take that, and I'm, you know, that sounds maybe comical, but it's truth. And uh, to realize that, you know, I sat on my couch, I don't know, maybe about four years ago, it was before we moved here, it was me, Jen, and my mom, and my mom, because I thought maybe, maybe I made this up in my head somewhere, but my mom finally admitted two things. She said, I whipped you way too much, and, uh, and secondly, she said this, she said, basically, uh, she looked at Jen, she goes, Jen, I never told my children I loved them. So, so I remember actually the day my mom dropped me off at college, she literally told the guy that was in charge, you will be, you'll be calling me in two weeks to come get him because you'll be basically, you'll be done with him. And, and thank God for a pastor that grabbed a hold of me and said, boy, I'm not letting you go. <laughs> right. And, and so what's happened is I'm seeing all these years, even though I've come a long way, Man, I'm like, oh my God, no wonder I struggle with so much of this stuff. And it's because, once again, development of years, I didn't get it. I'm not here blaming mom. It just makes sense. Like, wow. It's really hard to convey all that, that you feel inside with all that. 
Um, but man, what an eye opener. Once again, I love my mom, but, um, but her choices have cost me dearly, you know? And, and I think in the, in the biggest way is simply this, is because the battle has been for all these years, and not, not so much in the last maybe five years, but, but the first five years in the kingdom, uh, you, you know, man, I, I felt like God was always mad at me. You know why? Because my mom was. It wasn't dad. It wasn't a dad issue. It was a mom issue, right? Of, of where, once again, because, you know, what we miss so often, and, you know, I'm not trying to be all weird theologically here, but, you, you know, obviously God created man and woman, right? And so what happens is, is God, God uh, he fulfills all those roles that a, that a father is supposed to reveal in our lives. But guess what? He also re, uh, fulfills all those motherly roles in our lives because man and woman are created in his image. So God carries all those. So anytime it came to those, uh, the mother heart of God, if you will, that sounds so weird to take that with, he's a father, I know, okay? But, but, but the sense of when it came to the sensitive, the tender side of God, I, I just, count me out, right? And now I'm understanding why, because I grew up with a mom that was tougher than an old rubber boot. And so, yeah, Jesus loved her. And I, and, and I didn't have any sisters, I had four brothers, so they went, you know, outside of my grandmother, nobody else kind of had the clue. Anyway, so here we go. Let me, I am, I am uh, give me a few minutes and we'll be done. All right. So how do we know today if we, if we struggle with an orphan heart? Are, are, are there anything, is there anything that could say, man, uh, there's definitely characteristics there. I want to go down a list. I'm going to go fast. And uh, it doesn't mean, you, you know, you overachievers can quit reading right now. And so... Um, but I will say this, you might find that, that you're in some and you're not in others and that's okay. And there may be different degrees, but the goal is, is for you to identify it. And, and I'll tell you this, if I can just flat out a simple way, your spouse will appreciate it. Your children will appreciate it. Your friends will appreciate it. If you let Jesus bring victory, we will appreciate it. Amen. I'm going to say this. A few years ago, when I, knew, when I knew I was making that transition from being a youth pastor to a senior pastor, I was down in Louisiana, and I was preaching at a church, and Dr. Lynn, I say, Dr. Lynn, some of you guys, man, pray for me. Dr. Lynn began to give me a prophetic word, and, and I hadn't seen Dr. Lynn in eight years, and he was going down the prayer list from God, totally just, I mean, stuff that only Jesus knew. And one of the things he said while he was praying for me, he said, basically, uh, you know, yeah, basically reaffirm, yep, God's about to move you to be a senior pastor. But, but God, I feel like God's saying is that, Quentin, at one time, basically your heart was too hard. You couldn't shepherd his people. You were, you, you were, you were too, too angry, <laughs> right? And, and, and he said, basically, uh, the Lord says he softened you up, and basically now he can do this. So if you kind of understand that these things hold us back, from becoming who God wants us to be and from the calling in our lives, okay? In other words, to see the importance of, uh, of you just don't go, in other words, you drop the excuse go, well, that's just the way I am. It's not who God created you to be, right? So let's kind of go down this real quick. Orphans feel like this. They look at God as a master that they must appease. In other words, they feel like they have to do more, that they have to work harder to earn God's favor. An orphan thinks like this, that they can't trust anybody, so they're independent, self-reliant. What they do is they depend on their own talents and their own intellect, and if they're a preacher, they depend on their own anointing. They have to relate to God through the law, 
Once again, they value rules and regulation over relationships. And when there's a, when there's a rules and regulations guy, they put it on everybody else too. Next thing is, is they, got, they believe that they got the short end of the stick. They think others are more blessed than them, more loved by them, and that everybody else got all the breaks in life. See, uh, basically, let me maybe stop here. You, you'll see this interaction with how you view God and with your interaction with people because you betray it both ways. You reflect it both ways. Next thing is orphans are insecure. They carry this disposition of having a low self-esteem and an attitude of self-rejection. I lived that way too long. Orphans do this. They rarely feel at peace and at rest. In other words, they, 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 they can't rest in God's presence. Why? Because they're constantly striving, hoping that they become more worthy of God's love. No such thing. Unconditional. No conditions. Okay? That's hard to, it's easy to hit here, hard to get here. Basically, an orphan, they live with a fear of trusting, a fear of abandonment, and a fear of intimacy. In other words, once again, I can only get so close Next thing, orphans are addicted to and strive for the praise, approval, and acceptance of man. That's unbelievable right there. The next thing is this, is that orphans, they, they, they serve to impress God with their efforts. But the reality is, is they serve because they want something in return. The next thing is they, they pray, they read their Bibles, they fast. In other words, they do their spiritual disciplines and they do it not from a heart of gratitude and love and just connection with the Father because that's sonship, but what happens is they do it out of duty. The next thing, their motivation for being pure, being holy, is to win favor with God and to avoid His judgment and wrath. In other words, that's the main thing and not, I, you know, I want to be holy because I want to be close to Jesus. The next thing is they constantly sense a, a, have a sense of feeling guilty and a sense of shame over their failures. Next thing is they try to escape life through the counterfeit affections and even this hyper-religious uh, activities. Let, let me, let me kind of add a little note here. Uh, a religious spirit is an orphan spirit in operation in the church. Okay? They relate to others through competition, rivalry, and jealousy. In other words, they fear that if they're not on top, they will not be valued and respected. In conflict, an orphan will do this. They generally resort to accusation and exposure of people's faults. In other words, they blame others while denying and trying to hide their own weaknesses. Once again, in effort, they're trying to make themselves look good. They attempt to make others look bad. They seek to build themselves up by tearing others down. They destroy relationships by being too controlling, too critical, too possessive, or by showing a lack of respect and honor. And and maybe let me throw this in there. Or they just have this uh, apathetic view towards relationships. Next thing is they see authority as a source of pain. This is key. Don't miss this. They, they, they have issues with authority unless it's their own. And the reason is, 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 this, is they resent any suggestion that would encourage them to support another person's vision. In other words, they go, they'll use me. They don't get it. They, they don't get it. They don't get family. Next thing is, is an orphan will carry, they carry an unteachable attitude. In other words, they don't like correction because they view that, that, that correction has got to be wrong because I couldn't, because I can never be wrong, right? So, so they got to be wrong. And, and, and so what happens is anytime brings correction to them, they automatically interpret that as a rejection and they take offense to it. The next thing is, as an orphan, man, they're, they're guarded and, and they're so conditional in their expressions of love. In other words, they, they just, they, they, once again, I might repeat this, but, but, but basically I tell my wife, if you want my love, then you got to perform for my love. She, I may not physically, uh, you know, verbally tell her that, but I do that, right? 
And we do that to other people around us. Next thing is, once again, they make others, it's kind of said, it perform for their love because they feel as if they have to perform for other people's love. If I kind of add, hopefully I'm not boring you here, that, that, that if I feel like I have to perform to earn God's love, then I'm going to do that to everybody else. Okay, that's really what it boils down to. Next thing is this, is they struggle with giving and receiving love. They view God's presence as distant and, unconditional, or distant and conditional. And even if God's, uh, you know, God's uh, presence does fill the room, they automatically feel like, once again, it's something that uh, they've had to work and earn. Next thing is they view, uh, or they view themselves as slaves, as, uh, as servants, and not as a child of God. Go back one. They, they basically are slaves to fear and mistrust. Last two, they desire to be seen and counted among, among the spiritually mature, right? In other words, they, they, they need a position. They need a title. They, they need to be seen as something because it's once again the approval of man that's in them. And the last thing is there is they, is they have a fear of the future because they don't know their inheritance in the kingdom. Is this making sense at all? Um, I know that's a lot, okay? I know that's a lot. But, but let me maybe, uh, if you can just kind of come and maybe play something real quick. Um, I want everybody to just kind of close your eyes, please. Thanks for hanging in there with me, guys. I know this is long. Um, just out of curiosity, all eyes closed. If you're sitting here today and you go, um, I can see pieces of my life where I operate out of an orphan heart. If that's you, just kind of wave your hand at me, please, real quick. Yeah, me too, okay? That's every hand in the room, I think. So, so what's the first step in repositioning our hearts to sonship? Uh, the first step is simply this, is through forgiveness, and, and forgiveness, I know we talked about this some last week, but, but we got more detailed this week. But, but it's this, forgiveness does not, does not, does not, can't change what happened to you in the past. But it can't change your future. And, and so what happens is, is, is when we, you know, more than likely, in fact, I'll just ask you again. If today, if you kind of remembered something of your childhood that was out of order, that maybe that they didn't fulfill one of those responsibilities and you still feel the effect of it today, just lift your hand. Yeah. All right. So I felt kind of compelled that I need to read a verse today. And this is how I want to approach this. Uh, but speaking to our parents, this is the verse that kind of came in my heart. Remember what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross. He said this, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Men, our parents didn't know what they were doing. I do not, do not, do not believe that my um, dad or mom hurt me intentionally. Not at all. Um, but they did. So I want to maybe pray a simple prayer. And, and if you can maybe just... Uh, pray it in your own heart, get an agreement with you, uh, agreement with me, and we'll just kind of see what the Lord does. Yeah. And Father, I just ask in this moment, Lord, that you would just um, increase your presence, God, in this room. Lord, and I, I pray, God, that you would increase our capacity to connect with you in this moment. Um, Lord, we believe today that you didn't 
come and reveal something just so we could relive it and feel the pain of it again. But Lord, that, that you come and you reveal and you remind us of things because Lord, you want to bring healing in those spots. And Lord, I know that there's people in this room that, that remembered a specific time, just like I did when I was going through this. And so, Father, in this moment, uh, God, just before we pray this prayer to release our parents, God, we want to invite you into those moments. God, we invite you into that moment to be the great I am. God, we invite you into that moment to bring who you are, that you, that you are all the things that we need. You are the perfect Father. So, Lord, we're just asking today. In fact, Lord, we just come to you in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you today that the door to your heart is always open to us. God, that it's open to me. God, and we thank you today that we don't have to question or doubt if you love us unconditionally. Lord, your word says it. And uh, God, we just pray that we'd believe it. God, that we begin to believe in any lie of the enemy that says otherwise. Uh, Lord, we just ask, God, that, that you'd remove it. And God, help us come in agreement with your word. So, Father, today we just want to thank you, uh, God, that, that we don't have to come into your presence in fear because you've already accepted us. You accepted us when we accepted Jesus through the cross. And, uh, Lord, your word tells us in Psalms 45, it actually tells us to let go of our identity that's in our earthly father's or earthly parent's house, that identity that was created for us from their responsibilities. God, you told us to let it go so we can enter into the fullness of your love. And so, Lord, today we come to you for your help so that we can release and forgive our parents and release that old identity, God, that they put on us, not the one you put on us. So, Father, today, even as we're sitting here, just by faith, God, we choose to forgive and release our parents. God, right now, we, we forgive Dad. God, for his shortcomings, for his weakness, for his failures. Or, God, maybe we're here today, and, Lord, we're just thankful for Dad. God, thank you for giving us an awesome Dad. Lord, the same token, God, we also forgive and release our moms. Uh, Lord, for not being, God, who they were called to be, for not for nurturing us. And, uh, Lord, maybe we're here today and we had an awesome mom in that. God, we thank you for that. But, Lord, we're asking, God, that as we release and forgive them of every hurt and every disappointment, Lord, and as we choose today to do what your word says, to honor them and love them in the way that you've called us to, Lord, we just invite your spirit in to come and to heal and change our orphan hearts. Father, we thank you today, God, through forgiveness that you're repositioning our hearts to receive sonship. Thank you, God, through forgiveness today, God, to give us the opportunity to see you as the perfect and loving Father. And Lord, I'm just asking, God, as weeks ahead, even as next week, as we, as we begin to unwrap sonship and what that really looks like, God, just prepare our hearts, God, to hear and to receive from you. And Lord, anything that would just hinder us from believing, any, anything, God, remove it. Lord, we thank you today, God, that, that God, just as your word says, God, that um, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Today, God, we release them because we want a pure heart, because, Lord, we want to see you. So, Jesus, would you just walk and just touch every person today? God, touch them exactly where they're at. God, just in their, in their personal moment, God, and heal only what you can heal. Restore only what you can restore. And Lord, I want to pray, God, specifically before we close here, God, for the, for the parents here that still are having interaction with their own kids. And uh, Lord, I pray today that there would be no self-condemnation and no weight, 
God, if they didn't do the things we talked about today, Father, I pray that they would, uh, that you would allow them to redeem the time. And God, that they would begin to, to do that with their children. Us that have small kids in the room, Father, help us to be more aware than we've ever been aware of what our role is as mom and dad in our kids' lives. God, we want to uh, take that arrow and we want to shoot our kids out into this world in a healthy way. God, not in an unhealthy way. God, we want to be secure and we want to know that they're loved and uh, God, that we believe in them and we're, and we're back in your dream for them, God. So Lord, today we just thank you for what only you can do in this moment. Thank you for just uh, who you are. We bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.